Jesus is the Amen of God. Jesus Christ is the Amen of God. Both in his person and his work, he is the yes of God to men. In other words, Jesus Christ fulfills all the hopes that were bound up in the amens of the Old Testament. Remember, all of those true believers did not receive the reality of what they were hoping for, what they placed their faith in. But in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all of those things, everything that was bound up in amen, is fulfilled in Christ. Now to think about this, I would, I would have you notice first that amen is a name of God. We read that in Isaiah 65 verses 15 and 16. To summarize, those verses taught us that all who believe in God are given a new name. In other words, they become the sons of God. They become the true Israel. They are the people of God. They are not cursed, according to these verses, but they are blessed in God. And these blessings are certain because God is the God of truth, or more literally, he is the God of amen, as the verse says twice. It is his name, it is his nature to be true, to be faithful, to be the one who will completely perform all of his promises of blessing to his people. Now, how will he do this? Well, those two verses don't specifically say, but of course, in many places in Isaiah and in the rest of the Bible, it tells us that this comes about through Christ's work in the new covenant. So we're not surprised at all to read in Revelation 3.14, that one of the names of Christ is the Amen. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. That's what he's called in the introduction to the letter to the Laodicean church. This shows that Jesus the Messiah is the God of the Old Testament. He shares the character, the trustworthiness of the Jehovah of Isaiah 65. When Christ speaks, his words are dependable. His words are true. But he is more than just the God of the Old Testament who is true. As the word of God come in the flesh, Christ is in himself the amen of God to his people. If I had enough boldness, I would probably say in front of that sentence, verily, verily, or amen, amen. This is really important. As the word of God come in the flesh, Christ is in himself the amen of God to his people. So not just in his divine nature is he the amen, But the work that he was given to do as the God-man was to be the Amen of God. He is the confirmation of all of God's plans and purposes and promises for his people.
That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Amen of God. We see this in 2 Corinthians 1, 18-20. We read this last week, but let me reread those verses again to remind you of it. As surely as God is faithful, right? In other words, God has the character of Amen. As sure as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God is certainly faithful, according to verse 18. So the preaching of the word of God, the truth in verse 19 about salvation through Jesus Christ, is not a message of yes and no, but it's only a message of yes. In other words, God's promises of salvation through the Messiah are sure and dependable. They are not maybe. They are not iffy. They are not partial or imperfect. And they are certainly not insincere or doubtful. God's promises are always yes to the believer in Christ. Always. Why? Well, because Christ is the amen of God. God spoke his promises in the past, right? All through the Old Testament, God makes promise after promise after promise. They all point to the one coming one, to the seed, to the servant, to Jesus Christ. And in him, they are fulfilled. In him, they are yes. In him, they are amen. That's why when people say, what's the big deal about this word, amen? I mean, why are you making such a big deal about it? Well, here's why. Because all of the Bible, indeed all of human history, can be summed up in that word. God makes promises throughout the Old Testament, and they come to fruition in Jesus Christ, the amen. God promises, and then God says, Amen. To accomplish and confirm all of these things, he, God the Father sent his Son, the Amen. In other words, all of human history can be summed up this way. God spoke truth, and then God said Amen to his truth. And how did he say Amen? By the sending of his Son, the Amen. What did Christ do to affirm and confirm his Father's promises of salvation? What did he do as the Amen of God? Well, of course, he obeyed his Father in all things. He lived and suffered and died and rose to secure the promises of God. He fulfilled all the necessary requirements for salvation. He cut a perfect covenant, the new covenant, with unbreakable blessings 
And so he could say in verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. The promises are amen in the amen. (laughs) They are true. They are certain. They are dependable. Well, if all of that is true, what should follow? Well, Paul teaches us in the latter half of verse 20. So because Christ is the amen of God in his person and work, we imitate God by returning the amen in worship. That's why it is through him, he says, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Why should we respond this way? Well, because the good news of the gospel has come to us. The promise of God which says that all who come to him in Christ will be saved. Well, when that message comes to us, should we sit unresponsively in our little blue chairs? When God comes to us in the word, by his spirit, in the preaching during worship, what should we do? Well, we should by faith mentally agree with God, yes. We should be moved in our judgments, in our wills, in our emotions, yes. But more than this, we should corporately, publicly, and vocally from time to time say, Amen. This is one way of congregationally agreeing with God. It is us all together saying, That is truth. I believe that. Oh, and make it more so, our God. This is one way that we obey this example Paul sets out for us, right? He says in verse 20, we utter. The amen should be vocalized. It should be spoken, not just imagined or spoken in our mind or whispered. It should be uttered. And it should be done as we and our, at least primarily. It shouldn't only be personal, but it should be congregational. Jerome rather famously wrote, um, as one of the early church fathers, that when the churches in Rome said amen, it was so loud it sounded like thunder. He said what it did was it shook the idols in the pagan temples. Well, it can still do that today. It can still do that today. This is clearly Paul's inspired expectation in this verse, that God's people glorify him not only in their heart, but with the mouth. This is how we confess Christ, isn't it? According to Romans 10, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. This is one way to confess. This is one way that God's people glorify him in worship through Christ. It's by saying amen. So this amen is no Jewish, uh, wrong Jewish holdover from Old Testament worship. No, amen recognizes the fulfillment of God's promises of salvation in Christ. And we own and we speak and we mean by our faith. Amen. I have uh, 
often reminded some of you, especially some of you men, that uh, the way our public worship is ordered follows not only a, a general biblical pattern of worship that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but it reflects, our, our way of worshiping reflects our understanding of how God saves us and even the order of that salvation. All of that's rehearsed in worship every week. In salvation, God comes to us and presents himself in holiness and grace, does he not? <laughs> well, we recognize our sinfulness before him and we confess it and we're forgiven through Christ. And so we rejoice gladly to hear God, God's word and to sing his praise and to give to the needs of the church and to feast with him at the table. That describes both our salvation and our worship. Again, this is why different views of salvation look differently in public worship. This is why worship is different from place to place. Sometimes it's nothing more than uh, the, the relatively slight differences of, of culture, and that's fine. But other times, entirely different views of God and salvation are on display in worship. And so what we believe about who God is and how he saves designs our worship. And the amen should then play an important part in worship. If salvation is basically God prom promising salvation and then accomplishing it in Jesus Christ the amen, then we ought to expect this aspect of our salvation to play a role in public worship. And it does in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in heavenly worship. We're not, we're not wrong here. When doxology to God is given, surely we should imitate God and follow the example of the New Testament church by saying amen. And when prayer to God is given, again, we should imitate our, our scriptures and say amen. Remember, public worship is dialogical. It's a dialogue. It is a holy conversation between God and his congregation. God comes to us in worship and presents his promises in Christ. He speaks his word and he speaks the amen to us. The Lord's Supper is one large amen from God to us. It's a confirmation that the promises are true. It's a display. It's a drama that they are true. That he is faithful. And so in response, we acknowledge these promises in Christ and we say amen back to him. God puts his word in our mouths and we, in faith, in the mediator, speak to God for his glory. This is public worship. This delightful conversation where God speaks to us and we say amen. <laughs> and we speak back to God, to his amen.
Well, that uh, that leads us to some uses that I have, and I have I have four of them. Here's the first. I hope you see the word amen as a sweet word. As a sweet word. It is rich in meaning. It's ripe with thanksgiving. In one sense, it's a word that only Christians can rightly use. As one man has said, the first time you say amen to the gospel, that is your salvation. That's right. <laughs> it's Romans 10. God comes to us and tells us about himself and about ourselves and that we're not at peace with one another, but we're at war with him. And he tells us how we can be at peace. Well, when we believe God, when we say that's true and I entrust myself to the Christ for that, that's amen. That's what it is. And the believer keeps on saying amen. He keeps on saying, I agree with God through his whole life. And so, amen should characterize Christians. And so I urge you to use it properly, to use it in public worship especially, not casually or flippantly or in a joke. Remember, it's, it's a name of God. It's the name of God in Christ for us. He has spoken to us and not just spoken, he has affirmed it. He has amended it by sending Jesus. So let's use the amen with reverence, with our hearts, with our understandings. Secondly, let me reiterate the point that amen should be used in public worship in response to truth. That goes right to the heart of the word and all of the examples and even the express teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. Amen is not to be used as a purely emotional verbal response to some moving event. Now, it's not wrong to verbally respond to moving events in life. Wow, <laughs> praise God, and all sorts of other things are fine ways to respond when we recognize that God is at work or when something has happened that is particularly uh, impresses us. But unless there is a truth content to what's happening or to what is said or to what is done, Amen is not appropriate. Remember, the word's meaning is rooted in what is true and faithful. And so, amen is reserved in Scripture for reactions to content, for responses to truth. So, we shouldn't say amen to a wordless piano solo that we don't recognize any content. Maybe it was movingly, maybe it's a moving piece and beautifully played. There might be other proper verbal responses to that, but amen isn't one of them. 
because there's no truth content conveyed. Now you notice we don't actually in worship ever ever do this. Um, I, I'm convinced that we have no biblical basis to perform actions in worship that have no truth content as a part of them. It's got to be grounded in the Word of God. But for those who do that, or in other settings where something like that may happen, again, there are many proper words. Thank you, God, praise the Lord, all kinds of... But amen isn't one of them if there is no truth content to what's being done. All right? Well, then, when should you use it in public worship? This is still the second use. Well, in all of our dialogue with heaven, <laughs> in other words, in all of public worship, it's appropriate in almost any place in public worship, right? If we follow the scriptural examples, then it's in two cases, when God speaks to us or when we speak to God. You say, Pastor, that's a tricky way of saying all the time. Yep, that's right. Yep. When God speaks to us and when we speak to God. When the word is read, an amen is an appropriate response. When the preaching comes to us and the truth confronts and convicts us, maybe it strikes us and even changes us, an amen is appropriate. When the law is read to us to convict us of our sin, an amen is appropriate. When the promises of the gospel are rehearsed at the Lord's Supper, or when the promises of the gospel are given in the assurance of pardon, an amen is appropriate. When God blesses us in the benediction, an amen is appropriate. See, all of those things have truth content. All of those things are promises or, or propositions that God wants us to respond to in faith. Well, if we do respond in faith, if we do believe them, it is proper to say the, the biblically warranted and even mandated word is Amen. Amen. Now, we don't do this any and every time after any and every statement of truth is made. We'd, we'd get nothing done but that, right? Just like um, we don't take pray without ceasing to mean we don't do anything else in life except pray. No, it means to be constantly in prayer. So amen is appropriate in all these places. It's not appropriate to be overused and trivialized. Amen is also appropriate when we speak to God. Remember that all of public worship is corporate worship. You say, yeah, but most of the time there's just one man speaking. But remember, he's never speaking for himself. The man of God, as the New Testament calls him, is during worship not speaking for himself. He is either speaking for God to the people from the word, 
or he's speaking from the people to God. Sometimes he is speaking for God and sometimes for the body, but not for himself. He's speaking for the entire congregation. And one of the primary ways this is known, one of the ways that we remind ourselves of this, is for the people of God to add an amen to what the pastor or the man of God says. So when he prays, amen means we agree. (laughs) These are words that don't just come from him, our Father. They come from all of us. We too desire the answers to these requests. You know, this is why Paul tells us that prayers have to be in a known tongue. And they have to be according to Scripture. So that you as the congregation can truly enter in by faith and say, Amen. And so it becomes what it has been a congregational prayer. Think about any time that we speak to God in praise with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're doing it together. What is that? It's doxology. It's praise to God. Sometimes very overtly, other times just by indirectly by agreeing with him with some portion of scripture or, or some other set of truths. So it's very appropriate to end a hymn with Amen. So in this regard, when when the man of God is speaking to God and the people say amen, it means that the assembly is assenting to and adopting the leader's request or praise of God. Amen is how truths spoken by one person become congregational. Yes, your worship in corporate worship is individual, but it is not private, (laughs) right? All public worship is congregational. And so public worship is not a spectator sport. You are involved at all times. And amen is one example of how you stay involved. You know, sometimes people say, look, I, Pastor, let's be honest, I have trouble paying attention. Uh, perhaps never before in the history of mankind have attention spans been so short. Well, There are things we can do about that during our our regular week. We can train ourselves. But one of the things Amen lets you do is as you you have sung the first two verses of the hymn with your heart and with your mind, and suddenly you catch yourself in the middle of the third verse, and you're like, oh, I've got to get back here. And you put your heart and soul back into it. When you get to the end, it's almost an opportunity for you to say, "Uh, do over. I meant it all. Ditto. Amen.
Well, those are the first two uses. The third use is this. See that using the corporate amen is not rooted in culture or tradition or personality or preference concerning worship style. Amen is the will of God for New Testament public worship. And so my call to each of you, men and women, to every believer especially, is that you add your voice to the congregational amens. Someone says, but I'm shy. It feels weird when I do that. I wasn't raised that way. Those can all be those might all be true. But the way I've just said them, they are all sinful excuses not to obey the plain teaching of the word of God for you. Much of the Christian life, in fact all of the Christian life was weird <laughs> until you got saved. And then all things became new. Well, this is something that you ought to put on as part of the new man. This is something that some of you will find very easy to do and others of you will find very difficult to do because of the things I've listed. Some of you will do better at these than others of us. But we should all be pursuing, obeying God and congregationally saying out loud not in the quietest voice we can think we can get away with, but we ought to be saying out loud, Amen, to the truth of God when he speaks to us and to the truth of God when we speak to him. Well, fourth and finally, let me just make some specific applications to our congregational worship. This is something that we, we want to begin to practice better than we do now, and we, we do some of this now, but we could do much better. Um, this will take work. Every part of the Christian life takes work, and this will too. Right? We want to do this genuinely and unitedly. It is all right for individuals, especially men, to say amen at appropriate points. But what we're really after here is what the Bible almost universally talks about congregational amens. So, let me just give you several here that I plan to incorporate into our worship and uh, we'll see exactly how to do that in the weeks ahead. The first and most obvious one is let's add amen to the end of all of our singing. Some of us you know, grew up that way perhaps I've been in churches where every, every song, or almost every song, many songs, were, were ended with Amen, which said, we really believe this. We meant this. Hear us, O God. We, we, we sang this in faith. We sang this with desire. And so I'll work with uh, Beth and Naomi, and, and we'll figure out how to sing the Amens um, in the best way for for our songs. All right. Secondly, um, we should add some responses when God speaks to us 
For example, at the benediction, the good word from God, when God blesses us at the very end of the service, right? I say something like, people of God, receive his blessing. So I'm, I'm calling upon you to, in faith, pay attention to the words of God and believe that God is, is doing that for you. It's not just good wishes. It's more than that. Well, when God blesses you, it is a very biblical response to say, Amen. I believe this blessing. God will do this in and for me. I accept it in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, bring it to pass. That's what Amen means there. That's worshiping in faith. That's worshiping in spirit and truth. You are with your soul and with your mind accepting what God says. Other places like the reading of the Word of God. Today we say, this is the Word of God. And you all respond. And this is perfectly not only acceptable, but excellent. Thanks be to God. Well, we could also say, thanks be to God, amen. Or simply, amen. Or or some other uh, response. Um, and again, these things we'll, we'll need to work into the liturgy, work into the, the written order of service to help you and help us all remember them. But but we can do that. We can begin for it to become natural. The first time we said, this is the word of God, and half of you faintly said, thanks be to God, uh, we, we do it much better now, right? Practice does make perfect, especially when uh, obeying God's uh, word with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we can do this as well, right? Today you do those things well, brethren, and you can do this well also to the glory of God. Another place that amen surely needs to be said in a united and strong fashion is after prayer. I think this is especially important. It shows that you have listened, that you are alert, that you have been engaged in that prayer with the one who is speaking, with whichever man is leading us, that it's truly the united prayer of the congregation. Well, how to do that? Well, some congregations know that when the man finishes the prayer and he says something like, in Jesus' name, amen, or just simply amen, the entire congregation knows to respond, amen. Other congregations do it something like this. They typically, in public worship, finish the, the pastor-led prayer with the Lord's Prayer. And they add to the end of the prayer what I did earlier. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. And, and we say it all together. Now, just because we repeat something doesn't make it a vain repetition. It just makes it a repetition. It's your heart. It's your faith. It's your purpose. It's your spiritual alertness that will make it either be vain or not vain, either meaningful or sinful. Right? So... We could do that as well. Perhaps we will do that part of the time, even all of the time. Right? 
those are ways that we could we could do that and and we need to do it in a way that's clear to you so that we're not uh oh am i supposed am i am I supposed to say amen now and as we're learning you know we want to avoid that we want to help ourselves we want it to be clear and planned and and you know practically worked out uh, and again i i trust we'll find ways in the bulletin to make that clear now one final point that's often asked about this and um, I haven't had any of you ask me this yet but I'm, I'm sure it's coming I'll have some of you dear sisters come to me and say pastor am I supposed to be saying amen I, I'm a woman it sounds to me like this is this is outward and verbal and so should I be silent in this and I believe the scriptural answer is no no you should not be Whenever the congregation speaks as a whole, you should speak. You should not stand up and get into the aisle and jump up and down and say amen three times and glorify yourself instead of glorifying God. Right? But you, just to exaggerate, but you should, you should not only feel allowed or warranted, frankly, I hope you feel obligated to say amen. Because when Paul says we to Corinth, he's speaking to men and women. <laughs> he's speaking to the church. He's not just speaking to the men. There are places in Timothy, for example, where the prayers are done by the men. But this is not a part of worship that's, that's individual and could in any way be construed as a woman uh, improperly being authoritarian in teaching. You are responding to God. You are responding with the congregation. And so um, all men and women, you know, should be careful not to attract attention to themselves with their individual amens. And perhaps the women shouldn't be, be doing that. But even men need to be careful um, an amen that's too long or out of place or said with a self-glorifying kind of intonation, that can all be done. Uh, remember First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty. the amen is for the glory of God. It's not for the glory of you or me. Right. So uh, let's be careful, but let's not be so careful <laughs> that we don't obey this commandment, that we don't follow this pattern, which is both glorifying to God and edifying uh, to each other. Surely you have known the experience in worship to when a brother says amen, or the entire congregation says amen, and it stirs you. Well, it should, because it's, it's not just an emotional thing. It's content. It's faith-based. It's it's found in the Word of God. It's part of what it's there for, is to stir you up to say, yes, I believe this. Yes, I'm a part of this. Well, may God help us to fulfill Romans 15, verse 6, which urges us to aim at this, that together with one voice, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The amen is one way to do that, brothers and sisters. And I trust the Lord will teach us that uh, in, the, in the days and months ahead.